There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Oh, oh, oh. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today's episode is all about blood trailing, or more specifically, what you should do when you're actively on the trail. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, I urge you to do that before you listen to this one. That episode is all about understanding how to kind of interpret your initial instincts after you've taken a shot and how to get started on developing a good blood trailing plan. This week is, you know, it's a continuation of that, which is really going to involve everything you might want to think about when you've waited long enough and it's time to actually take up the trail. I honestly think this is one of the more valuable foundations podcasts I've ever written. So I hope I'm not way off base on that one. So listen up, learn, and hopefully you'll find more deer, my friends. About five years ago, I was standing at the bus stop with my little girls. The neighbor girl and her dad were there as well. It was the time of spring when the songbirds really start to make their way north, and I heard a familiar bird call. I told the girls to listen up because there was a cardinal nearby. My neighbor said, nope. So I said, what the hell are you talking about, Keith? And he said, that's not a cardinal. I told him that I swear I've looked at cardinals, you know, dead in their eyes while they made that exact sound. And he said, nope, that's a chickadee. I can't tell you how right I knew I was. So I went to YouTube and amongst the German death metal videos and the basic how to fix shit around your house kind of stuff that popped up. I started watching live birds actually calling the way that live birds actually call. And do you know what? Keith was right. 
Somehow, my whole life, I had falsely attributed a bird call to the cardinal when it belonged to a totally different species. The worst part was that I would have bet a stupid amount of money that I was right and he was wrong. And if I had, I'd have lost a stupid amount of money on a stupid bet made by, well, a stupid guy who doesn't know shit about songbird calls. It's the things in life we think we know that we don't that are the most dangerous. Ask anyone who works at a bow shop or worse, I don't know, like the gun counter at Cabela's, what it's like to deal with confidently wrong people all the time, and you'll hear a pile of horror stories. Now, I'm sure we all have these issues in one way or another, but you know where they are most damaging? While we're blood trailing. When you decide that wounded bucks always go downhill or that the blood on the leaves definitely has to be lung blood, even though you're three quarters of a mile into the trail and it's anything but pink and frothy, then you're in trouble. This, if nothing else, is a warning. Last episode, I told you to trust your initial instincts on the shot, and I meant that. But I also said, trust the actual evidence more. In that case, it was the evidence on the arrow. In this case, it's the blood, tracks, and whatever else you can use to inform your trailing efforts. Trust the evidence. Trust the evidence. Trust the evidence. I mean it. This is the best way to curtail too much optimism and to set a pace for the trail that might allow you to pick up on as many clues as possible. Now, I guess before you can trust the evidence too much, you have to understand what that means. We've all heard or we all know that pink and frothy blood means lungs, but it could mean one lung or it could mean two. And the difference is often a 75-yard easy blood trail versus a much longer, much rougher, much less guaranteed to end in man hugs blood trail. The evidence in this case could be lung blood on one side of the trail or on both. It could be lung blood for 200 yards and then just less blood or only sparse red non-lung blood. That means that you didn't get both lungs and the short easy one is not in your future. But what about, I don't know, dark red blood? That might be liver. But the liver is big, and no two liver hits seem to go the same way. If you look at the liver when you shoot a deer, and I think you should, you'll see that it's a funky-shaped organ with all kinds of lobes on it. How you hit it and where you hit it can mean the difference between a 3-hour wait and a 200-yard successful track job, or an 8-hour wait that turns into a nail-biter after you jump him from his bed twice. Now, dark red blood is sort of like a, I don't know, like a gray area. Heart blood is often rich and dark, and I'd bet that there are more than a few hunters who can't really tell the difference between the two. After all, it's kind of the same blood all over in the deer's body. If you hit a vein or a muscle that isn't the heart, the blood is going to look an awful lot like it came from the heart. But you'll know pretty quickly if that's the case or not. The worst scenario here, and this happens a lot, is the more muscle you hit, and the heart is a muscle, remember that, especially low muscle, the more you'll get heart-looking blood for a while. But then you won't, and you'll find yourself confused and sad and probably a little lonely. Given that quick and probably not all-too-adequate description of some of the different types of blood you'll see in enough seasons of hunting, I really want to reiterate something. If you believe you hit liver 
and the blood supports it, make a retrieval plan around that information. If you get into the blood trail and the evidence stops supporting that, it's time to change your plan. For example, if that's the case and you give him six hours, but then you go out and you jump him 250 yards into the trail, you went too early. You know that now, so what do you do? Give him more time. Time on a blood trail is your friend, even if you're fighting the urge to push on through because of the weather or some other factor. Now, I should say this here because I've heard this story a lot. If you go hunting and you don't have enough time to blood trail a poorly hit deer for whatever reason, be real careful on your shot selection. I don't know how many times I've heard someone say that they hunted, you know, a quick one right before work and then they hit one but they didn't get to go out until their kid's basketball practice was over that night or some other reason. By then, who knows? But in that case, time actually might not be your friend if it's too much time. And no matter what the evidence suggests, once you start on the trail, go slow. Designate somebody as the leader. And if you're with someone else, have them just back you up. They can be the trail marker, which is pretty easy to do with just some toilet paper or flagging tape. Being able to look at your markers tends to make the path forward clear because you can see the direction your deer is heading. Also, if you need to, turn on your tracking on your OnX. This helps a lot to show you the direction the deer is going and helps you read the terrain to see where it might end up. Uh, now, I should say this too. If you do use flagging tape during your blood trailing efforts, please, please go back and pick it up. I don't know why this is, but it sucks going into the woods seeing evidence of other hunters, even if you know other hunters have been in there a lot. Just seeing some flagging tape or a discarded water bottle or scent wick or whatever takes away from the experience a little bit, and I can't really explain why. I know I just don't like it, and I know other hunters probably don't too, or don't as well. Now, as you move along the trail slowly, try to really understand how much blood your deer is likely to lose. We often see a decent amount of blood right away, and we overestimate how much it really is. Now, a good rule of thumb here is for every pound of live weight the deer has, so let's say it's a 160-pound deer, it's going to have one ounce of blood in it, so 160 ounces, 1.2 gallons. That's a lot of blood in that deer. And seeing blood on the ground doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of blood came out of that deer. And if you don't believe that, hang around with my kids for a little while while they spill shit all over my kitchen. And I promise you even a little cup of milk looks like a lot of milk when it's all over your floor and splattered all over the place. All right, that was a little side rant. Anyway, when you go on a no doubt double lung or heart shot blood trail, you realize how much blood a lot of blood really is. This only gets more obvious in snow and other conditions that just highlight blood. But overall, you got to be careful not to overestimate how much blood loss is actually happening. But you got to also try to understand that it's very likely that the blood loss hasn't stopped even if you do lose the blood trailer, you can't find the next drop. Now, I know blood loss can and does stop in certain situations. Blood clots up. Things get in the way. You know, a little bit of intestine or fat in the exit wound can change things in a hurry. But mostly, 
it probably hasn't stopped on the blood trail you're on. This is crossroads time on blood trails. And if you haven't been there yet, keep shooting. It'll happen. The blood seems to dry up at some point, and that's when people start to go a little rogue. Now, you do have to try to find the next blood, but most people seem to think that's an immediate sign they should start looking for a whole deer carcass. This also gets them into the mode of walking pretty fast and looking. And while there is time for grid searching, it's not usually when you haven't found a new drop of blood in the last few minutes. In this situation, remind yourself that the blood likely did not dry up, but instead you're just missing it. That's the most likely scenario. Instead of walking ahead 25 yards and shining your flashlight around, spend time at last blood. Get on your hands and knees. Look not only at the ground, but at the vegetation around you. Think about what you might be getting wrong. Like maybe your bucks seem to be headed straight for the river, which would make sense. But now there seems to be no more blood in that direction. Did he decide not to follow the rules and go somewhere else to lay up? Was he never really headed there to begin with? I've seen wounded deer do everything they weren't supposed to do. Go uphill, downhill, cross water, cut straight back on their trail, which is the worst. They do all kinds of stuff. They have a brain. They have four legs. And they are in a serious survival situation after we shoot them. In this case, if last blood has you really stumped, start circling nearby. Not 25 yards out, but maybe like three yards out. Try to pick up the direction your deer went because it went somewhere. If it backtracked, it'll eventually peel off the original trail, which is when your sign marking job really comes into play. Now, if you didn't mark the original blood well, you might find yourself really confused here. And it's also important to note that depending on the entrance, exit, and the type of hit, uphill travel or downhill travel might greatly slow the flow of blood or increase it. Level travel might as well. Pay attention to what the blood looks like on every part of the trail so you know whether it seems to increase or decrease due to some direction and what the overall frequency seems to be at those times. Now, this might seem like overkill, but it's so much better to always be on blood than to ever not be on blood. If you do truly lose the blood and you feel like you've exhausted your options near last blood, then then it's time to think. Are the conditions right for a grid search yet? Is the deer going to be fine if you back out and wait till morning to pick it up again in daylight? How far has the deer actually gone? What kind of headspace are you in? A few years ago, I shot a good buck on public land in Iowa. I hit him through the shoulder, which was not ideal, but it also looked like it shouldn't matter. The penetration was pretty good, and he looked like a dead deer running away. When I started blood trailing him, the whole thing looked like a really done deal until he got to a part of a trail that went up a slight bank along the river. There, I lost the blood. And with my headlamps, I looked and I looked and I looked and I got frustrated. I got angry with myself for not making a better shot. I finally just left. I knew I'd have better luck in the morning and I felt like that was a dead deer out there somewhere but that I was also around a bunch of coyotes and was just full of anxiety that comes in such situations. 
in the morning, I had to wait for another hunter to wrap up before I could go in because I didn't want to mess up his hunt. And when I did, I walked into the last blood and I looked over and saw my buck, dead as disco as Randy Newberg likes to say, laying not 10 yards away. I honestly must have walked by that buck 20 times in the night, but I wasn't really looking, if you know what I mean. The whole thing got a thousand times easier in daylight for obvious reasons, even though he was kind of holed up in some really tall grass, I still should have found him. If you can't wait, or you feel like a nighttime grid search is right, then keep it tight. People often get way too far apart. And the thing is, wounded prey animals often hide as best they can when they're as vulnerable as they are after we shoot them. They'll tuck into deadfalls or curl up in the tall grass like that Iowa buck did. They are surprisingly easy to overlook. Hell, I shot a doe one time in Minnesota on some public land here in the cities while I was muzzleloader hunting that just absolutely disappeared on me. I felt like I ten-ringed her, and I didn't see her take off with the rest of the deer, but I couldn't find her in a field of knee-high grass. It was odd, until I realized in the melee of the shot and with all those animals scattering that she had run damn near next to me and tipped over. I mean, she was like right next to me. And I was missing her looking too far out and overdriving my headlights, so to speak. All right, back to grid searching. Keep it tight. Keep it planned. Turn on your tracks on Onyx. Mark your spots. Go slow. Don't just focus on looking for a whole dead deer, but also keep an eye out for more blood or for running tracks. Do this, especially when your grid search takes you across some kind of obvious deer trail. There's something out there that could clue you in to keeping the whole trail going. You want to find it. And if you grid search at night with no luck, get back in there at first light and carry your binoculars. I carry them during all daylight blood trailing so I can scan the trail ahead for blood and can scan the woods ahead for a dead deer or a bedded wounded deer. Dealing with a wounded deer is another story, likely fodder for a follow-up podcast at some point. So I'm not going to get into it here. Suffice it to say, the farther away he is when you spot him, the more options you have for a follow-up, if it's at all possible. It's also worth saying a few other things that I absolutely believe. Good lights are your friend. I keep a whole blood trailing tote in my truck all season long, and you better believe I carry good lights and extra batteries. Giving up on a blood trail because I don't have enough juice to power my lights is not an option, and it shouldn't be for you either. I like a bright headlamp at all times, but also a really bright handheld flashlight. I usually keep a small backpack in my blood trailing tote, and while I rarely remember to stock it with gutting gloves, that's a good idea too. It's also, as I've mentioned, a really good idea to have backup batteries at whatever size your flashlights use. There are some quality lights out there that are rechargeable too, but I don't like them for blood trailing. On the brightest setting, they tend to burn out pretty quickly, and that's not ideal. They are great for around camp and getting into and out of stands, but for real nighttime blood trailing work, I like something that operates off of batteries that can be replaced in 20 seconds during the track job. And it should also be said, if you have the option to bring in a dog, do so. It's not legal in every state, and the rules vary quite a bit, but generally speaking, a well-trained tracking dog is going to make the best human tracker look like a joke. The key there, though, is well-trained. And it depends on how much you've messed with the trail already. It's also dependent on being able to call someone who will be available. 
If it's an option in your neck of the woods, keep a tracker's number handy and keep yourself ready to back out quickly if you feel like the trail is going to be a tough one. As long as the deer is dead and the dog is decent at the job, it's almost, almost a guarantee they'll figure it out. Now, the time that has passed, the rain that has fallen, and probably some other factors I'm not thinking of can complicate the whole thing and take it from a no-doubt find to a finger-crossing ordeal. That's reality, but it's not an excuse to not try everything possible to find your deer. Now, lastly, I'll say this. Knowledge is great, but experience is king. If you have the chance to blood trail, do it and pay attention. Learn from each blood trail. The easy ones, the difficult ones, get experience. The more you do, the more confident you'll be when things suddenly start to break bad and it's midnight and you're in the middle of the woods with a frustrated buddy who two hours ago thought he'd be calling a taxidermist and is now thinking that maybe he was meant to play pickleball instead of hunt. Good luck out there on those blood trails this season. I hope they work out for you. I really do. And I hope you tune in next week because I'm going to talk about what the options are for getting your deer out of the woods once you do find him. That's it for this week, my friends. I'm Tony Peterson. This has been the Wire to Hunt Foundation's podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. As always, thank you so much for your support. And if you want to get a little bit more of a whitetail fix, feel free to check out Mark's new show on the Meat Eater YouTube channel, which is called Deer Country. You can also visit the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel for how-to videos and go to TheMeatEater.com slash Wired to read all kinds of whitetail-related articles. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.